so uh, we're a little shorter on time than we normally are this Sunday. And so, you know, the next line in the creed this week was supposed to be, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I felt like that line needs the attention that a full normal length sermon can give. So we're going to do that one next week. And this week we're just going to focus on one little line, which is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, you might remember a couple weeks ago, I pointed out that the Creed has what we might call a Trinitarian structure. The version we've been using says, I believe, three times, and each one refers to a different member of the Trinity, right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then what we're looking at this week, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So part of the significance of this line is when we are saying it, we're confessing belief in what's known as the Trinity. Uh, That God is, always was, and always will be a perfect relationship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, some people understandably have trouble with the idea of the Trinity, right? It kind of sounds like we're talking nonsense, that there's only one God, but this God exists in three persons. What could that even possibly mean? And there are some people out there who try to argue against the idea of the Trinity, and they'll say something like, well, you know, the word Trinity, it never even appears in the Bible, which is true. That word isn't in there. But that doesn't mean that the idea of the Trinity isn't in there. Uh, Just to give one example, uh, look at what Jesus says. These are his last words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. He has resurrected from the dead, and he, he gives them something known as the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the word Trinity is not there, but the idea is there, right? Baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That phrase, in the name of, it means something like by the authority of, right? So right there, Jesus is saying that the Father has authority, the Son has authority, and the Holy Spirit has authority, the authority of God, right? So even right there, we have this idea of the Trinity. Now, some of us might wonder, well, why does this even matter? Isn't this, this is kind of like talking about, you know, how many, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? <laughs> like, we can't even understand it, so why is it important to confess it? Well, it's important for many reasons, but I just want to throw one out right now, okay? When you think about it, when we say that God is a Trinity, we are saying something very meaningful about the nature of ultimate reality. And when I say ultimate reality, I mean the eternal source of everything that exists. We're saying something about what that is like. Uh, Back when we did the second line of the creed, I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. 
I pointed out that we kind of have two options when it comes to what ultimate reality is, what the ultimate source of everything is. I said, either the ultimate source is impersonal or personal. We can't get away from the fact that something is eternal, right? Otherwise, we have this problem of everything just coming from nothing, and that doesn't make any sense, right? So something has to be eternal, and that something is either personal or impersonal, meaning it is something that is either more like a mind or more like a rock. And what I argued uh, when we did that line of the creed is that the evidence and our intuition points to that thing being something personal, something like a mind. Now, when we say that God is a trinity, we are saying something more about the nature of ultimate reality other than just it is like a mind. We are saying that the nature of ultimate reality is loving, cooperative, power-sharing relationship. Loving, cooperative, power-sharing relationship. Because God has always been a perfect relationship of eternal Three persons in loving relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Ultimate reality is not only personal, it is relational, and it's not only relational, it is loving. Now when you think about it, when we recognize that, it has huge implications for how we think about what is good, what is right, what is evil, what is beautiful. Right? It affects what we believe about how the world should be because if ultimate reality is loving, cooperative, power-sharing relationship, then the world functions best when we live in loving, cooperative, power-sharing relationships. Right? So that's something to think about. But anyway, let's move from the Trinity to focusing on the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. So the first place that the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible doesn't take long. It's the second verse. First book of the Bible, second verse. Genesis 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There he is. Now we talked about this passage earlier in the series when we talked about creation. What I want you to remember is that when it uses the word waters, don't just think of water. The word in the Hebrew has more, a more significant connotation than that. Waters implies chaos. Raw, unformed, disordered material just kind of swirling around. Okay? And so what this is saying is that the Spirit of God hovered over that raw, disordered material and nurtured it towards order and beauty and life. So that is what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning of time. And that is what the Holy Spirit still does. The Holy Spirit works to bring order and beauty and life in the world and in us. Now, the Holy Spirit makes quite a few appearances throughout the Old Testament. 
But in the New Testament, there's this dramatic shift in humanity's relationship to the Spirit. Which is that now, it is possible for the Holy Spirit to live in us. And we're told that this is specifically because of what Jesus has done. Shortly before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciples that even though he is about to go away, he will not leave them as orphans. He says to them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In other words, a defender. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then a little bit later, Jesus adds, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So because of what Jesus has done, the way has been opened for the Spirit of God to live in us. And we could spend all day trying to talk about, well, why is that true? How did the mechanics of that work? We're not going to worry about that this morning. I just want us to recognize it is because of what Jesus has done that the way has been opened for the Spirit of God to now live inside of us. That same Spirit that hovered over the raw material of creation and nurtured it towards order and beauty in life can come inside of our hearts and nurture us to order and beauty and life. He can provide the deep connection with God that our souls long for. Because of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives, Jesus used a particular metaphor to describe him, which was water. Uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as living water, or I think a better translation is the water of life. And I think he uses that metaphor because it's one that everyone on earth can identify with, right? If you are alive right now, that's because you've had water, right? You cannot go more than three days without water. And if you are alive, you know what it feels like to really want water, to be really thirsty, like I am right now. You know what it's like for your throat to get dried out. Water is the most relatable thing in the world. And so Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as water because the Holy Spirit is like water for our souls, spiritually speaking. All of us know, okay, we are more than just physical beings, right? You can provide us with everything that we need to physically be alive, but that's not going to be enough to satisfy us, right? We need more than just water and food and shelter. We need those things, but we need more than that. We have a spiritual thirst, and what Jesus wants us to know is that the Holy Spirit is like this water for our spirits, for our souls. He can quench our soul's thirst, and in doing that, he can make us alive, fully alive, okay, not just in the clinical sense, but in the spiritual sense. He can make us fully alive now and forever. One of the times that Jesus uses this metaphor is in John chapter 7. This is what it says. 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood instead in a loud voice. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And then John, the person writing this gospel, he adds a little clarifying statement, just in case we're confused. And he says, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Right? So there's this connection between Jesus ascending to heaven after his death and resurrection, and then the Spirit being able to be imparted to human beings. At this point in history, Jesus has been glorified, which means that that invitation is for us today. Right? If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Are you spiritually thirsty? Do you feel a longing in your heart for something that the world can't give you? I like to call this longing the holy ache. Uh, Bertrand Russell, he was an atheist philosopher. So that means he did not believe in God. But I think he described this holy ache better than just about anybody. Uh, he said, The center of me is always and eternally in terrible pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains, something transfiguring and infinite. Bertrand Russell knew that he longed deeply for something that this world could not provide to him, that no material thing could give him. I think just about all, everybody feels what he's describing, this holy ache. But many people aren't as perceptive as Bertrand Russell. And so they go their whole lives often thinking that this holy ache will be satisfied if they can just get you know, enough money or the right job or a nicer house or another romance. right? And all those things can be great, but they don't satisfy the holy ache. They don't satisfy what Bertrand Russell is talking about here. They don't satisfy this desire for, as he puts it, something transfiguring and infinite. So by transfiguring, he means something that will make us beautiful, something that will... Uh, take us out of our sinfulness and our brokenness and make us rise above that. And by infinite, he means he wants to be put in touch with the mysterious, right? He wants to feel awe and wonder and a connection to that which brings awe and wonder. And I think most of us have that. Deep down, I think we all do even if we're still under the illusion that there's something else in this world that's going to be able to give it to us, if we could only get it. One of my favorite quotes from, uh, well, from the great theologian Jim Carrey <laughs> is, um, I wish that everyone could get famous and rich so they could realize that it's not the answer. And so Jesus extends this invitation to us. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Okay, notice those words, come to me. Right? If we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we want 
this deep connection with God, it begins with us coming to Jesus. Meaning, it begins with us learning to recognize him as the light of the world made flesh. Remember, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is the light that shines on every person come into the world as a human being, right? All of us have, to some extent, an experience with the divine. We've known the light that shines, right? We've known goodness and beauty and life. We've had a taste of it. But at a particular point in history, the light that shines on every person took on flesh and came into the world. And what Jesus is saying is if we recognize him as that light, if we come to him, right, then the Holy Spirit His power can come into us. And rivers of living water will flow from within. Now what does that mean? Okay, Rivers of living water will flow from within. That's a beautiful way of describing what the Holy Spirit does. How he works. And I would say it tells us two things about what he does. So one, it tells us that the Spirit gives us a sense of life, peace, and hope that is not dependent on what's going on around us. Right? It comes from within. That's something that we need, a source of peace that comes from within. You know, Jesus said, one of Jesus' promises, in this world you will have trouble. It's not the kind of promise that we want to hear. Right? It's not a good greeting card, Bible verse promise, but... It's true. We all know that's true. In this world, you will have trouble. And so if our peace is always found in what's going on around us, our peace is always going to be insecure, right? We're going to feel insecure. And when we feel insecure, we feel fearful. And when we feel fearful, we get angry. You know, most anger is really just a byproduct of fear, when you think about it. You know, when uh, maybe a teen comes home way past curfew, and mom gets really angry. Why is mom really angry? Because she's afraid, right? And then that fear gets manifested as anger. If our sense of peace is totally dependent on what's going on in the world around us, we will be fearful, angry people. And when really hard times come, we will despair. But if we have rivers of living water flowing from within, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, fear and anger stop being our dominant emotions. Because the Spirit satisfies the holy ache. And He helps us to know and experience the love of God. He puts us in touch with, as Bertrand Russell described it, right? Something transfiguring and infinite. And because of that, we have a sense of peace that is resilient and durable. And then the second thing this tells us about what the Holy Spirit does is he helps us to be a blessing to others. When we have the living water flowing from within, we actually have something to offer people. You know, if you've ever been around someone who has living water 
flowing from within, you have been blessed by that interaction. Because they didn't just treat you like someone uh, that they were using to get something. Right? They didn't need your approval. Their sense of self-worth didn't depend on you. And so they didn't feel a need to judge you. Right? They were just free to love you. And to listen to you. And to be honest with you. When people are like that, their presence truly is a present. It's a gift. And we want to be with them. Right? Because the presence of God is coming to us through them. And we're getting a taste of the living water that's flowing in their hearts. The Apostle Paul tells us what it looks like when this living water is flowing in us. Galatians 5.22, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some people out there think that, you know, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have miraculous powers. Uh, because there are places in the Bible where it says that the Holy Spirit fills people and they do have miraculous powers. Some people are given gifts to pray for people and heal them. Some people are given gifts to speak in languages that they never learned. Uh, some people are given gifts to um, do all kinds of uh, miraculous things. <clears throat> but, Paul tells us here that miracles are not the primary fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is entirely possible for someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not do anything supernatural. Right? Because the real fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit is truly concerned with, is our character in producing these kinds of qualities in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice some of the things that are not on that list, right? Miracles is not there. There's nothing about fear. There's nothing about anger. There's nothing about controlling other people. Only control of self. Romans 8 has this great passage says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So this right here is the main reason why the Holy Spirit cultivates that kind of good fruit, that character in us. Because those are the kinds of qualities that naturally grow out of us when the Spirit helps us to realize one thing. I am God's child. Right? By Him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is like uh, the Aramaic word for Dad. That is the main thing that the Spirit does in us. He convinces us he testifies to us, you are God's beloved child, God's beloved son or daughter. The Spirit testifies to our spirit, you are not just an accident. You are not just some sort of speck in, of dust in the cosmos that came from nothing and will eventually become nothing. 
You are my child. I love you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. If you're here today and you feel like, I don't know if I've ever received the Holy Spirit. If you feel like, I don't know if I have this living water in me. Jesus gives some really simple instructions for what to do. They're so simple, it's hard to believe that this is all there is to it. Okay? And here they are. Come to me and ask. That's it. Come to me and ask. Right? The Spirit comes to us through Jesus. And so if we want to know the Holy Spirit, we have to go through Him. He's the one who gives us access. And the one who gives us access makes it very clear how simple this is. Last verse of the morning, Luke 11. Jesus is talking to a group of fathers, and he says, If you, though you are evil, because all people are sinful, right? He says, If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you guys are sinful. Your Heavenly Father is not sinful. Your Heavenly Father is totally good. So if you guys know how to give good gifts, how much more so is your Father in Heaven going to give you the best gift of all, the best gift that you can receive, the Holy Spirit, if you just ask Him? If you just sincerely ask? So the message today is as simple as can be. If you never come to Jesus in prayer and ask to receive the Holy Spirit... I just encourage you to ask. Spend some time alone. If you want somebody else to pray with you, you can talk to me. And ask. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus inviting you today, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is weary, anyone who has this holy ache that they just cannot shake, come to me and drink. Hear that invitation. And then if you are somebody who did that a long time ago, but you're feeling weary, you're feeling parched, you're feeling spiritually empty, there's nothing wrong with asking again. Sometimes we need to be filled up again. In fact, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, implying that it's something that needs to happen continuously. Okay? So ask again. And he promises to deliver. Hear the invitation. If anyone is thirsty, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this invitation that you give to us. And Lord, I pray uh, that you would meet us in our innermost being. That you would remind us of who we truly are that you would satisfy our holy ache by revealing to us that we are your sons and daughters, that you love us. Help us to receive you, to accept that identity that you want to give to us. And we thank you, Lord, for making a way for this to happen through Jesus. In your name, amen.